Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. We are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yes, sir. Yeah. And today I think we want to talk about different deal, not deal structures, but like fund structures. Like how do we intend to, or I guess a, a transparent view into what we've been kicking around for as we look at additional deals, how we want to structure them. Because we, we do want to involve outside investors. We want to come up with a way to attract good investors that can be helpful, but also not create a bunch of work for us and work for like legal work. So it's this world is esoteric, but it's simple from a, a fundamental perspective. You're trying to get money in and then figure out how you're going to pay these people out. And then we also have a certain strategy and how does it fit within that strategy? Yeah. So We've been looking at all these different ways. I, I wasn't super familiar, but we've talked to a bunch of a uh, couple in-person LPs this week, got feedback, and then like other LPs last week on how other people are structuring things. So we did the Constellation Bobcast, and we talked about that. That is basically a holding company with committed capital. So it's not two and 20. There are fees that are like equivalent to that, but it is not a traditional private equity fund. So this is where you basically get a committed pool of capital and then you deploy it over some number of years. And then you use the cash flow to purchase uh, more businesses going forward. And that is with the goal of the largest multiple of invested capital instead of like IRR or something. And so that I think is you know interesting, not going to be the easiest thing to raise on. Our initial plan was more independent sponsor. So this is raising money on a deal by deal basis. You could take some management fee, like a percent of revenue, you get some carry and people structure this in all different ways. You could have no management fee and like high carry or higher management fee. You could have closing fees. It's the wild west. You do a bunch of different ways. And when and you then, say committed, committed capital though, like going back to, Hey, you're going to raise, let's say $10 million. What it means is like people say, yes, I will give you some amount of money. And then over time you will do a capital call, which means you're going to send them an email and say, Hey you committed to, let's say $150,000. I'm going to take 20% of it now. And then six, eight months from now, I'm going to take another 20%. So over time, because you don't really need that money all at once. Yeah, this is different than, so in the startup world, you raise a seed round, you traditionally get that you know million dollars, you stick it in the bank and you have a million dollars sitting in the bank. For a private equity fund, venture capital fund, you get all these commitments, maybe they equal like $10 million or something. And then you call that capital as you need it, as you find deals. So it's not sitting there basically wasting away for the investment. Venture capital fund, private equity fund, you normally viewed or judged on your IRR. So internal rate of return. Versus we're talking about revenue. So how did the, like the private equity model, which seems like fairly straightforward to me, which is I've also seen like real estate deals that you'll see where essentially you're going to say, Hey, I'm going to put this money in. It gets called in over time. There's a thing called carry, which you mentioned, which goes to the, usually the partners in the fund or those involved making investment decisions. And like the payout is there's like an end to it. And that's the thing that the constellation model that we talked about last week is there's, there was no, and that was the interesting thing. It wasn't really clear. Was that known from the beginning that hey, this is just going to keep rolling and we'll pay you out when we sell a business, but we didn't end up selling any businesses. So he ended up going public. Was that his intention? I'm curious. And then is that now like its own model? Yeah. So it's worth saying that traditional like private equity fund has like a finite life. So buyout funds, you typically hold for five years and then you exit. 
And so back to Constellation, he raised that capital from uh, largely from a pension fund, Omer's, which was happy to hold that money and compound it forever uh, or indefinitely. But he also raised some venture capitalists. And when you raise some venture capitalists, it's known that there is like a ticking clock. Like you have right. to give their capital back because they have to give it back to their LPs. So he took Constellation Public as a way for the LPs that wanted to exit, had the ability to exit, basically. Our goal, and I think this is like the, the right way to, to start with figuring out what is the right structure. The goal is to hold these businesses forever and ever, as long as possible. So with that, it's like immediately in in conflict with <laughs> delivering people returns. But then again, you can also issue like dividends. You could say, hey, once we hit a certain point, we're going to start paying money back and it's in small installments, either you know monthly or something like that. And I think we heard of some players in the space that do that, where they just, you know, hey, we're making some percentage on, on your your capital. Here's, here's a, an installment of that. And I'm wondering, does that just go until the capital isn't repaid at some multiple or like, when does that stop? Yeah, you could do it all different ways. This is what we've been hung up on is like planning something that is an indefinite amount of time out at the very beginning is weird and not easy to do. So you could have some term that you could buy out investors of three times their investment or something like that. And that three X fund is what most people would be happy with. And you could do that in different ways. You could dividend, you could just keep it indefinitely and maybe split the dividends like 80, 20, 70, 30, something like that forever effectively. Or you could have some exit event where you often these buyout funds buy a company and then five years later after improving it, they sell out to another private equity fund. And then more recently, there's these like evergreen or open-ended long dated funds that maybe stretch that out longer and longer, mm. or you could just raise successive funds. So you have Vern Fund One, and then maybe you want to hold that, and it's like many years later, and maybe you raise Vern Fund Four. So instead of selling to other private equity uh, funds, you sell to yourself because yeah. you think there's you know still room to grow on those assets. We were yeah, this is like one of the things we're really struggling with, and, and we got that feedback of having it be a, and am I using the term right, a rolling fund that just goes forever and ever and has no exit date? You go with something more typical and then yeah just sell to yourself and that way it's almost like an implementation detail it's burn fund one burn fund two in those last three to five years or whatever the 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 time frame is and you're not tied in because the way we were looking at before it's like all right this is what we're going to do for the next 20 years of our lives it just seems like a really big decision to make all at once i would never there's no other decision i think you'd make like that other than marriage probably, or maybe having children. So it's like marriage, children, raising a fund (laughs) that long term. Yeah. Our mutual friend had a good point of what were you doing 20 years ago? (laughs) What are you doing? Like projecting out 20 years in the future? You have no idea where you're going to be. So yeah, definitely took that to heart of, I wonder if we're just overthinking it. We're like, perfect. Is the enemy a good? Mm. Where you just do something standard, you do 220 or something close to that. And then you figure it out in the future. Like you don't have to have it all planned out immediately. There's, you know, outs in the future to do different paths. Like simplicity is good. Simplicity. And the other thing is that seems like good advice because you can just, again, people may realize, oh, there's, there has been other funds and these businesses technically have been sold, but you're selling them to yourself. Or you're selling them to the next sort of generation. And I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I think that was my the way that I'm leaning is let's do something simple that people will understand. The LPs will understand. And also that they have a, 
Because I think the consolation example is one that's very good for the main investor, right? The pension funds. They don't really need the money back. They need to know on paper that it's growing, but they want it deployed and they want it earning as much as possible versus the LPs, your standard LP that you know is trying out either venture investor or, or private equity. Like They're going to want that return eventually. And so the one thing that we heard from another LP though that was really interesting was in this season of sort of the economy, it's like tax efficiency is really interesting there. So it's like being able to keep the money rolling. Here's your return for the year. Do you want to re-up or do you want to do you want to a check and, and have to pay capital gains or some sizable pound of flesh to the government on it? Which yeah, I don't know yeah. if you can get away with that entirely. As wealthy people definitely do. So if you think <laughs> of Zuckerberg or whatever, like our Elon Musk, all their wealth is in their their companies, right? So you own a tremendous amount of Facebook stock and you want to buy a house, like you own, I don't know, $40 billion in Facebook stock. You just go to Goldman Sachs and say, Hey, I want a loan of a hundred million dollars on this. And I want it at 0.5%. And they're happy to give that to you. Right. Cause it's sure. against this, you know, enormously valuable Facebook stock. That's only going to increase in value. Yeah. So I, I know some, I think it's venture capital funds. If you own Airbnb or something, instead of you know, selling it at the end and taking a huge you know, uh, tax burden, you could just give the people shares. And so hmm. the shares just roll over and then there's no sale, right? There's no taxable event. Wow. So there's different ways around it. And this all goes to don't try to predict the future five years out if the tax system changes. Like there's ways always, tons of probably way too, sm- way too many smart people working on ways to avoid taxes. Yeah. The tax system is uh, so complicated. Yeah. And I think the other like piece of interesting feedback that we we heard recently was like around having that yearly or not necessarily yearly, but like more frequent payout of like, hey, here's your investment back or here's a multiple on or whatever it is. But then coupling that with the next fund, right? It's, hey, we're here with your check, but before we give it to you, would you like to get it back on the ride again? And we just delivered you 20% or whatever the returns were. As long as you're telling a good story, you're delivering good results. It's almost like a mental thing where it's, you want to get back on the ride? Or as cousin Max was saying, you want to run with the big boys or you want to be a little bitch? (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to explain this to him. And he was saying to me, that should be your line. Just have Colin look at him right in the eyes and say, do you want to be a little bitch or you want to run with the big dogs? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, it's I think there, there is an element of if it's working, people will tend to reinvest. And I think some of these decisions around tax and holding these companies forever. I think there's good ways to figure that out and it doesn't have to be reflected in the fund structure, which is, I think that's my conclusion or my, that's what I, my key learning from some of our conversations are it's you can do whatever you want and structure it. And that's the interesting thing about this that I've never really put a lot of thought into, but it is like a compositional mathematical kind of interesting thing to, to figure out. And my sense, just like most things I try to do in my life is just try to keep it simple. That's my takeaway is, hey, go with something that everybody understands and that you understand and you can you know, talk about like you understand versus I think the long, really long running fund where it's like, hey, we're going to raise something and, and it's indefinite. It's just hard to align the incentives with the investors and us. Yeah. And so I feel like we can nail the founder product of clean deals, be super simple to deal with, straightforward, no assholes. In this LP product, it seemed like we were coming to a solution in our heads 
And then you went and talked to the like LP customers and they're like, what are you talking about? This is really complicated. Why don't you just do something more simple? It's every product you ever design goes this way where you have these great yeah. ideas in your head and then it runs into the market. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, no, no, just do something normal. I think that's, yeah. that was a good feedback. Do something normal. Yeah. Don't recycle fees. That's weird. Do it maybe in the future, but don't have that built in. There's the other kind of feedback around there. Or recycle, like cash flow was our initial idea. But all this leads to like, so start small. And how do you start small? And where do we begin with this? So are you leaning one way or the other? I'm waiting for a little bit more. So <laughs> transparently, the LP feedback that we've gotten has been really productive, really good. And I, I'd like to see where those conversations go. But yeah, my sense is like, hey, let's get more deals under small, do more smaller deals first before trying to raise a larger pool of capital like trying to raise a fund i think is you have to at least show more track record otherwise i think you can still do it it's just gonna be harder and you'll you won't get as favorable terms and that's it's like my experience with vc just being around the fund there it's just if you have a good track record if you have a you can point to even just three deals it's hey these are going great and we just want to do more of these like great I think it'll be a lot easier than, hey, we've done one, we've got another on the books and we're going to close a third in the next month or two. Like it's a lot harder to, people just say, it's very easy uh, as a, like sitting from a NLP perspective, just to say, hey, great. Let me know how the third one goes and reach out. Yeah. I, I'm just torn on like how many deals do you need to show? So you could acquire deals at good multiples that you think are good businesses and then are you going to wait a year or two years to have right. an exit from those? Do you want to wait that long? Or if there's capital out there that's interested in this and you have uh, a little bit of proven experience that you could get deals at good prices and close them, does it make sense to just scale that up? Yeah. And there's this other thing that like, it's easy to access capital right now. And will that, will that stay the course, which most people that I talk to are like, there's no way, but we also didn't quite, things happen that you can't really predict the future, but if cash becomes harder to come by and investment come, it starts to dry up, yeah, you're going to wish you raised eight to $10 million and, or more as much as you possibly can and kind of stuff your pockets. And then you don't have to go back to the trough for you know, quite a long time or ever. Yeah, I guess my preference would be to keep testing the waters and keep doing these conversations with LPs. And if we're able to get one to bite that's a little bigger, I think it's probably downhill. Like it's a lot of social proof of one person committed. And then you could raise a tiny fund, you know, do something with it, maybe deploy it like relatively quickly. And then you go out and raise another, you know, successive larger fund. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I if like that, that doesn't work, like you just do independent sponsor deals until you feel ready. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, again, if you return good returns to people, I, they're going to tell their friends, they're going to want to involve other people. If you but again, it's so hard to know when, you know, those returns are going to take a long time. We're the one thing that I really like about this space is that we're not buying businesses that we're going to like turn around and turn into a unicorn. It's like modest growth will actually have great returns. It just takes a little bit of time. And so by the time we're delivering our first set of returns at the earliest, like a year three, something like that, it's, you're not three years from now. It's just the same thing. What were you doing three years ago? It's like, we weren't planning on doing this. So it's, it's too far out. So timing is, a I think probably the most interesting part of this timing against the market against where investors are at, where 
the economy's at, and then also like how many deals you've done. So it's all trying to coordinate those things together with a, a structure that aligns the right incentives. For sure. Yeah. You really don't want to be trying to time the market. So if the capital is available, I'd say you <laughs> yeah. get it while you can, because you yeah. don't know. You don't know if it's going to go up or down or whatever's going to happen in the future. But yeah, it's an interesting spot to be. You just keep finding good deals and I guess you move forward with it. One kind of last thing that I was thinking about is the, the balance between fees and carry, right? So for those of you out there that are, are like, what are those two things? Fees are a percentage of the invested capital that I believe on a yearly basis in a lot of models, like goes to us essentially. So it would be going to Colin and I and our staff and smart people that we'd be bringing to assist in whatever ways to, to maximize the investment versus carry, which can you explain carry in a simple way? Uh, yeah. So we had this analogy of whaling boats. We talked about this right. in the past. Yes. So it's basically 20% of profits is like the simplest way to think through it. Uh, so two and 20 stand, Brent's kind of alluding to is a lot of people deviate from that especially people that have made good money before and don't need like the 2% management. They don't care about the salary. They just care about the equity value, equity increase and paying capital gains. So like I have my notes somewhere, but benchmark or a lot of other folks, I think take close to zero management fee and then we'll take much more than 20% and carry 30% yeah. or more. Which is, I think as an investor, that's where you want them to be. You don't, nobody likes fees and it aligns incentives the right way. However, they're taking, I think somebody mentioned, I see stuff coming around that's zero and 35. So no fees, we're going to take 35% of that carry. And does that maximize, it puts the investors in a little bit of a backseat, right? When it comes to returns, it's like, you're getting close to 40% of you know, the profits essentially that is going to the, the fund manager. Yeah, it just, I think it's an interesting time. That's also indicative of kind of, what's going on in the space. It's, this has been really fun to learn about. It's never been like something that I've before, especially working in venture, like you know, never really understood that it existed or just lumped it in with all the different things I didn't know about. Yeah. It's an interesting space. I've always loved like portfolio construction, like the real nerds in the venture space you get really uh -huh. into it and how you could play it differently, but yeah, still figuring it out. And like people arrive at all different stuff and it, it's like supply demand, right? So once you're super sought after fund, you could take a larger pound of flesh. You could upper carry up your management fee and do that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's my kind of one point going back to, okay, if we just do a couple of these, I think you still raise money, but then when we're, if you're raising from the same people again, you're just raising more, broadening the investor base, you can, I think, command better terms. It's just the same thing as like a startup that's raising pre-revenue versus, hey, we took six months to get product market fit or a year to start seeing it. It's, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do in all cases. I'm just saying you'll get better terms the more it's fleshed out. Uh, so that is an interesting perspective, especially today, because a lot of these like pre-revenue startups are raising crazy amounts of money because there true, is so much capital out there chasing deals. Yeah, so that is always true for San Francisco, but I'm talking about the Chicago-based <laughs> startup that's got to basically show they're effectively profitable and that they're going to be a unicorn before people invest. But yeah, that, that is, I shouldn't uh, say that about all venture, but it is generally true. If you see some, you should point to some traction, like you're looking at a deal. Those are the deals, at least that I see from people that like we used to work with that they'll share things that, Hey, can you believe this company is doing $60,000 MRR doing this? And 
it's still very early and and usually how do I put it like squishy, right? Those deals are, are generally very squishy, but it always helps to have some some points of reference. One last thing before we go, my pre-orders are live on my course. So IndiePE.com is my website for the new course. It's how to buy, grow, and sell small companies. So if you're enjoying the podcast, check it out. Pre-orders are open for $199 right now. Pricing these uh, like zero marginal cost products is weird, but my plan is to never discount and then slowly increase the price as I add more and more content. So as far as what's covered... It's basically everything you need from finding a deal, sourcing it, different places to find them. And I'm including all my scripts and templates that we use over here at Vern. And then after you find a deal, how do you diligence it? How do you negotiate the deal? Different ways you could structure the deal uh, and what I recommend with real sample deal structures. We have templates for asset transfers, for the legal docs, all that good stuff. And then after you actually close, yeah, how do you grow the thing? And what we recommend there, a playbook that we're using, and then our recommendations around hiring SEO writers, hiring developers, Brent has a couple sections, and then eventually hiring CEOs and incentivizing them and doing that whole structure. So check it out, ndp.com. The course is going live in about a week and a half, two weeks. And so I am working frantically to finish everything up. Uh, a good chunk of it's done already, but yeah, check it out. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.